considered the father of Methodism, was instrumental in a revival that swept through England and transformed many lives. That was John Wesley. Martin Luther, considered the father of the Reformation, challenged the Catholic Church, which led to major spiritual and theological changes. Well, John Wesley and Martin Luther share something in common. Both men came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior through the reading and studying of the book of Romans. Romans changed their lives. Welcome to the start of a new series of messages on the book of Romans. In the coming weeks, and it will be many weeks, Romans will be our place of study. Let me encourage you as we step into this new series to begin reading through this particular book, the book of Romans. As you read through, not only will you familiarize yourself with the subject matter that's contained in Romans, but I also know that you will be challenged in your spiritual life and encouraged as well. So we're in a new series. We're starting this morning. We're starting together to study the book of Romans. We kick off this new series by turning in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you uh, please join me by turning to the first chapter of Romans. Uh, this morning we will be looking at verses 1 through 17. And the uh, theme this morning, the theme that we will be discussing is the gospel. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the gospel. Uh, the word gospel means good news. And so here in chapter 1, we are introduced to the gospel. And that's what we'll be talking about in a few moments. So we're in Romans chapter 1, and uh, let me invite you to turn there. If you have, do not have a copy of God's Word, just follow along on the screen as we read through these first uh, verses together. So let's kick off our study in Romans, beginning with verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you 
and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I am obligated to both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because this is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. May the Lord add his blessing to our study this morning. This morning we find five elements of the gospel communicated to us in these first 17 verses. And so we're going to work through these various elements of the gospel at this time. Um, these are important elements, and so I invite you to take your bulletin, if you will. There is an outline that you can follow as we talk about these elements. So let's begin speaking regarding these elements of the gospel. Number one, we are introduced to the author of the gospel. The author of the gospel. If you'll look with me at uh, verse 1 here. The author of the good news is identified. Here's what verse 1 says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for, and here we go, the author of the gospel, the gospel of God. So the gospel, the good news, is God's idea. Now, depending on your translation, look at with me at verse 16 of that same chapter. Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Some, some translations do not have the gospel of Christ in it, but, uh, but in others it does. So here we again, we're reminded of the author, the gospel of Christ. So verse, both verses, verse 1 and verse 16, introduce us to the author of salvation. So when it comes to the good news, salvation... God is the originator. It was God's idea. God himself created and implemented the most wonderful plan to restore mankind with their creator. So here we have in these opening verses the author of the good news, which is God himself. Number two, the second element. The second element is this. We're talking about the outreach of the gospel. The outreach. Again, looking at verse 16, we are told who is eligible to receive the gospel. We are told who is eligible to receive this good news. So look at verse 16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. And here's the outreach. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now, as you look at verse 16, take a look at it again. Do you see any exclusions? 
are any exemptions mentioned in verse 16? Are there any qualifying statements in verse 16? Qualifying, qualifying such as maybe this, the gospel is the power of God for all who clean up their life. Do you see any qualifying statements? Well, the answer is no, right? No, no exemptions, no exceptions, no qualifying statements. The gospel is for everyone. The good news is for all of us. That is the outreach of the gospel. Number three, we talk about the power of the gospel. The third element is the power of the gospel. Looking at verse 4. And it says, And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote these very words, Paul himself penned these words, and uh, Paul says that the words that they proclaim, not just himself, but other apostles and disciples, the words that they proclaim, the message that they share, is a message that comes in power. And the reason the message, the good news of Jesus Christ has power is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the good news has power. That's why the good news transforms lives, because it's rooted in the resurrection. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a very essential ingredient of the gospel. It's an indispensable element of the gospel. Um, if there's no resurrection, then each one of us is doomed. Okay. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we have the words that explain to us and share with us our plight, our, our demise if there is no resurrection. Let's look at it together. And again, it's the same guy here, the guy who wrote Romans. Paul, he also has written 1 Corinthians, and this is what he says. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Okay? If there's no resurrection, then this morning we have gathered together. Okay, if, if there is no resurrection, we have gathered to remember and honor and worship a corpse that still remains in a grave, okay? That's our plight if there is no resurrection. It's not good. And if Christ has not been raised, continuing here, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. In other words, if there's no resurrection, I'm, I'm blowing smoke this morning, okay? I'm lying to you if there is no resurrection. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise, if God did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. Okay? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith 
is futile and your sins and you're still in your sins okay so your faith is no good if okay if Jesus did not come back to life your faith is no good and here's how important the resurrection is because of the resurrection there is forgiveness of your sin so are you seeing how important the resurrection is why there's power there then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Okay. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has power. The reason it has power is because Jesus Christ himself came back to life. Okay. If he had not come back to life, we're in a sorry, sorry predicament. But Jesus does live. And that is the power. That is the power of the gospel. It changes lives because Christ lives. Let's go on to number four, the fourth element here. At this time, we want to talk about the catalyst of the gospel. Okay, The catalyst of the gospel. The word catalyst is a chemistry word, all right? It's a chemistry word. When a catalyst is added, a reaction occurs. And I tried to kind of demonstrate that this morning with uh, some vinegar and a baking soda. The two had a reaction, okay? We had our vinegar. That was fine by itself. We had baking soda. It was fine by itself. You put the two together, we got a reaction, Okay? There was uh, vinegar, and then the catalyst at that point was the uh, baking soda. So, catalyst. Now, for the good news, the gospel, to become alive and active in your life, you need to exercise your faith, okay? You need to exercise trust in what God has said and what God has done for you, Okay? If you don't put your faith and trust in what the gospel has said, then, then you're kind of like vinegar and baking soda. Nothing happens. But your faith is the catalyst. It's what begins to make a reaction in your life. So when you exercise faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you, a reaction takes place. And your life begins to change. Your life begins to change. Now look with me at uh, verse 17. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's a good verse there. Uh, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Important phrase there in verse 17. What it's telling us, it is your faith and your trust from the very beginning and to the end, all right, that activates the promises of God in your life, okay? Your faith is that catalyst that activates, that brings change in your heart, that brings that guarantee of life eternal. So, to make the gospel real and active in your life, uh, 
a question may result. Okay, I'm kind of following you, Pastor. You may be thinking and saying, I'm kind of following you. Okay, I need to have faith and trust in what God has done. Um, Okay, I'm kind of getting it, but it's a little bit vague. Uh, What is it exactly we need to be trusting in? What is it we need to place our trust and faith in? What is it exactly? What is the meat, the potatoes that I need to grab hold of to cause this reaction in my life where I am saved? Okay, so let's talk about the gospel. This is what it is. Here's your meat and potatoes. This is what you've got to place your faith and trust in, all right? Number one. We all have to recognize that we are sinners, all right? Basically, hey, we're not perfect, okay? You may want to argue and say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Hey, I get that, okay? I'm not as bad as you, all right? But if you want to go by your good works, you've got to be perfect, okay? So we're talking about perfection, and nobody is perfect. That's why we are sinners. We can't meet a standard perfection. We've got to recognize that. Because we're not perfect, I mean, there's all kinds of other things that take place. So that's number one. We are not perfect. We are a sinner. Number two, uh, since you are not perfect, you are a sinner. The Bible goes on to say what you deserve then is death. Okay? That's what you deserve. Death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says what? The wages of sin is death. You understand wages. Wages is something that you earn. Because you are a sinner, because you are not perfect, you earn death. And then we're talking more than just death where you leave this world and are planted in the ground. We're talking about death meaning a separation from God. You won't be in heaven, okay? You're not going to make it. That's what we talk about, death. That's separation. And that's because you're not perfect and you're a sinner. So that's the bad news about you. But let me give you some good news, okay? Number three. Christ died for you. Okay, remember? You're a sinner. You're not perfect. Because you're not perfect, you deserve to die and be separated from God forever and ever. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ says, hey, we can't have that. God, we need to do something about that. So, Jesus Christ, he dies in your place. He goes to the cross. A wonderful illustration of that is For example, if somebody has cancer, they're in the hospital, they have cancer, and they're dying. And you walked into that room, and if you were able, if you could do this, if you were to take the cancer out of this individual's life and put it into your body, what would happen to the person that was lying in the bed? They would what? Live. You, you would what? Die. See, Jesus Christ made that exchange. Because of your sin, Jesus stepped in and says, hey, I'll take that sin, and I'll die in your place. We've got to recognize that. We've got to know that's what he did for us. And then lastly, number four here, we place our faith in what he did for us. We place our trust in him. Take a look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 here. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, okay? Not by works so that no one can boast. Your salvation, you, you're, the catalyst in your life that activates this truth that God died for you and forgave you, that catalyst is your faith and trust. And when you place your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you, okay, you 
enter into his family and you receive the guarantee of life eternal, the forgiveness of sin, you become a new creation, and the Heavenly Father becomes your father. Some good news results. And that's all because of the catalyst, your faith in action. So that was number four, the catalyst. Number five is the declaration of the gospel. The declaration of the gospel. Look at verse 17 with me. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The declaration of the gospel is this. When you place your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done for you, you are declared righteous. Okay? See, prior to placing your trust and trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you were separated from God. And that which was separating you from God is simply your sin, okay? Your imperfection. That's what separates you. However, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you activate, you put the catalyst in there, okay, a reaction occurs. And part of that reaction is, yes, I become a child of God. Part of that reaction is, my sins are forgiven, okay? That's part of the reaction. But also, Scripture tells us here in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Part of the reaction is God says, you are now righteous. Okay. Now we, human beings, we're quick to point our fingers. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of good, but you know what he says sometimes? Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm glad he did that for so-and-so. But he's a cheap wad, you know. I mean, we, we're quick to pick. But when God, when we activate our faith and trust in God, God says, no. You are righteous. He doesn't go back and point his finger and say, yeah, but you messed up here. No, you are declared righteous. That's what results when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous. We're declared righteous. That is the gospel, and that's why it's called the good news. Now, next week, as we press on into Romans here, uh, we're going to see why the good news, why the gospel is needed. Now, we kind of recognize that already. I've kind of communicated that. Scripture has communicated that. We need the gospel because we're all sinners, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that. Well, anyhow, as we move, off, move on into Romans chapter 1, we find out in more detail why we need a Savior, why humans, why mankind needs a Savior who will forgive all the trash and garbage of our lives and give us new life. We'll talk about that next week. So we're moving from the gospel today into why the gospel is needed. That's next Sunday. But as we wrap up here, let's talk about application. So what should this message this morning mean to you? What can you do about it? Well, first off, here's what you can do about it. Have you added that catalyst when it comes to the truth about Jesus Christ. Okay, you recognize that you're a sinner, hopefully. You understand that Jesus died in your place. Have you placed your faith and trust? Have you activated the catalyst? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have not, then this morning's a good time to put the catalyst into the truth, okay? Exercise your faith. 
I'll help you do that in just a moment if you need to, okay? So that's number step number one. You need to get right with God. If you don't, then you're to be pitied, okay? You're to be pitied more than anyone else, okay? So let's get that right. So number one is you can trust Christ. Here's the second application. Application. Those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are righteous before God. Okay? You are declared righteous. You're God's property. You belong to Jesus Christ. And because of those truths, rejoice. Okay? Reflect on that. Rejoice. Just enjoy those truths. That's what you can do with the good news. So let's close. As I close, I'm going to say a brief prayer here, a prayer of uh, placing our faith in Christ. If you have not done so, I'm inviting you to just, in the quietness of your mind and in your heart, to say these uh, words to yourself, to the Lord, I should say. And uh, let's, let's get the cat catalyst into the mixture. Let's get this activation take place. Let's get you on God's team, okay? And then I'll close that with a prayer. So let's do that at this time. Let's get right with God. Follow, uh, follow with me and just, just say these words after me in the quietness of your heart. Jesus, this morning I recognize that I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. And I understand that because of my sin, I deserve death. That's just the punishment. That's just the consequence of being a sinner. I understand that. And Jesus, I know that you are the remedy for that. I know that you died in my place. You took my cancerous sin and placed it on your body. I understand that. Because of that, I now place my faith and my trust in you. I can't save myself, but Lord Jesus, I know you can save me. And so I trust you, and I place my life in your hands. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me life eternal. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.